0: name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we come to this morning's gospel reading and Jesus's cleansing of the temple, I would like to remind you that if you ever ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? Making a cord out of whips or a whip out of cords, overturning tables and driving out the money changers is a live option. And Jesus not only does this once, But he does it twice. He does it during his first Passover of his public ministry, as we see here recorded for us in John's Gospel. And he also does it again right before his passion, his suffering, his death, and his crucifixion. Immediately after he entered Jerusalem on the donkey to the cries of Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus went to the temple and again turned over the tables of the money changers and drove them out, saying, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And it is immediately after this, I I think, without coincidence, that we hear the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. For the corrupt authorities in charge of the temple, once Jesus had messed with their prophets and in so doing challenged their authorities, he was no longer to be tolerated. So why does Jesus form a whip out of cords and drive out the money changers? We read, it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. It is in fulfillment of prophecy, and he is consumed with zeal for the house of his father. Now recall that the temple in Jerusalem was established by the old covenant as the place of God's special dwelling with his people. That the way in which the holy God could dwell in the midst of a sinful people graciously. Through the sacrifices of the doves and the lambs, or I guess our text said the pigeons instead of doves, same thing, and the oxen, but by divine institution, God set up for his people a sacramental system that placed before the eyes of all the Old Testament believers the promise of the coming Messiah, whose own sacrifice and blood would expiate And cleanse all sins and so through faith in the promise of grace the promise of righteousness and remission of sins and salvation that was attached to these signs all these things which pointed forward to the fulfillment in Jesus the faithful of Israel received that very grace the very grace won by Jesus on the cross according to the word and promise of God And the temple, and this is important for us to remember, the temple was not only for Israel. It was for all nations. Now it is true that the temple was in Israel, right? But Israel was supposed to act as a priestly nation. And what does a priest do? He mediates between two parties, between God and man. And so the temple was placed in Jerusalem, in Israel, but for all people. For God's plan of salvation always included all those who belonged to him. And he is the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord and God of all nations. And so the temple in Jerusalem was not established just for Israel, but also as a place for the Gentiles. We hear this at the dedication of the temple in Solomon's prayer to the Lord. When a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, when he comes and prays towards this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, and and as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And so the temple, as it was constructed, in the center was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And then right outside of that was the altar where the priests offered sacrifice. And outside of that was the courtyards for the people of Israel to gather. And this was a large courtyard about a football fields length long and two in width, so that they could gather and worship the Lord. And outside of that was the court of the Gentiles, which was much, much larger, so that the peoples of all nations might gather and worship the Lord and know that he is God. Now the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, the corrupt Jewish elite who controlled the temple, they did not fear God, as we see from their actions. They worshipped that deity mammon, money, who has so much influence over the hearts of men in every age. The second word of the Decalogue, which we just read, reads, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, we usually think of this commandment in terms of the flippant use of God's name, and certainly that is covered by it, right? We should not use the Lord Almighty's name as an expletive. But the greatest sin against this commandment is not the flippant use of God's name, but rather to teach falsely in his name or to lie by his name or to use his name for shameless sinful gain and this is what the sadducees and the sanhedrin had done the lord had placed his name in the temple so that all the people might call upon it and find him there gracious but the sadducees used it to fleece the people of israel to fleece God's flock, and in so doing, for all intents and purposes, also to cut off the Gentiles from the temple altogether. Indeed, the old covenant prescribed all sorts of sacrifices that the people should render in the temple and had various regulations on the quality of the animals to be offered. You weren't supposed to bring your sickly, weak, old goat to be sacrificed, but a young, strong, and... uh, pure goat without spot or defect, right? Because the point of the sacrifices was to point forward to the spotless, pure sacrifice of Christ. And so it was inconvenient to take a sheep from Galilee, or say, even if you were a Jew living further, like in Rome itself, it was inconvenient to take a goat to the temple. So the Sadducees kept a stock of animals for purchase, which is fine in itself, very practical. But of course, they sold them at what you would uh, probably not call fair market value. There was a a upsell to them. And because there was uh, quality control on the animals, it was very hard to sacrifice your own. But you had to buy their expensive animals. But that was not the end of it. We hear also in the Decalogue, As we read, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me, and keep my commandments. Now, if you were one of the privileged few to be in Bible study, we went over this commandment in some detail for a few weeks, and we saw that it was not meant, and it was not understood in the Old Testament as an absolute prohibition on images uh, in and of themselves, but rather it is a prohibition on the worship of images right that you should not bow down and worship them well the sadducees taught that it was an absolute prohibition on images themselves that any image was a violation of god's law no matter what it depicted and no matter what it was used for so you have a picture of a barn and a cow hanging up in your house you're an idolater right uh so that any image is a violation of God's law. And so the people would come to the temple to buy the animals for the sacrifice, but what do they have as money? They have Roman money, which has the picture of the emperor on it, just like our money has the pictures of past presidents or the founding fathers, or uh, the UK puts the reigning monarch on their money. And so the Sadducees said, you can't spend that money in the temple. It's got a picture on it. It's sinful. It's idolatry. And so you have to exchange your money for temple currency. And of course, there was a nice fee attached to that as well. And so, especially during the great festivals, when 100,000 people would come to the temple to offer sacrifice, where would this currency changing take place where would this buying and selling of animals take place in the only place big enough to house it in the court of the gentiles that place set aside for the nations to come and worship god and so the court of the gentiles was filled with money changing stations and the selling of animals so that there was no room for the gentiles to come and worship the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, had perverted the temple. They used the place of God's name, the place of his gracious dwelling, as a means to fleece the people of their money, and they had cut off the Gentiles from the temple altogether. And so Jesus, who had come to the lost sheep, of the house of Israel, and who had come also for the Gentiles to make them one flock under him, the good shepherd, was consumed by zeal for the Lord's house, by this injustice. He was driven to drive out this abuse of God's temple and God's name and God's worship. Now the Jews asked him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? That is, by what authority... Do you do this? We know by what authority we buy and sell in the temple, by the authority of our lawyers and our interpreters of the law, by the authority of the Sanhedrin, that ruling council of the Jewish people in charge of all the religious affairs. Who are you, Jesus of Nazareth, to challenge them? And even more, to take things into your own hands and drive the money changers out and turn over their tables. To this Jesus responds, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he is speaking about the temple of his body. The Sanhedrin might be the authority over the temple, recognized by the Romans, by Herod, and by most the Jewish people, but Jesus is the Lord of the temple himself. And God had now chosen to dwell with his people in a better way than a temple made of stone. That temple was always a temporary arrangement. He had now come to dwell among his people in the flesh of Jesus. And as the Lord of the temple and the good shepherd of his people, both Jew and Gentile, he has the authority to lay down his life for the sake of his sheep and to take it up again. No prince, nor king, nor emperor, not the Sanhedrin, and not death itself has authority over him. They can kill him. They can try to destroy the temple of his body, but he will raise it up again. The time of the temple in Jerusalem was soon coming to a close. That which it had pointed to had come. Isaiah the prophet had foreseen this day when he said, The mountain house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Christ is the temple. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. And he is lifted up high upon the cross for all the world to see, his arms wide open, beckoning the nations to be reconciled to God by his forgiving and atoning blood. Ezekiel foresaw a new temple with an altar of wood in the holiest of places and from which Living water flowed out, bringing life to the nations, and in the midst of which the people of God feasted. That wooden altar is the wood of Christ's cross, purified by his sacrificial blood. The living waters are the waters that poured out of Jesus' purest side that turn into a torrent of baptismal water, bringing life to the nations through fonts throughout the world. And the feast is the feast of the tree of life, the feast of the fruits of Christ's cross, the feast that you will eat here this morning, the very body and blood hung upon the cross and given for you for your forgiveness today. So come to the temple of the Lord and enjoy the fruits of his sacrifice in faith his body given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins and your salvation. In the name of Jesus, who has the authority to lay down his life for his sheep and to take it up again, and who takes you with him. Amen. You may rise for the offertory. (laughs)